This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, this is Jan. You are listening to the Langpreneur podcast. How are you doing today? I'm I'm feeling it's it's a mix of I'm tired, exhausted, but also super excited because yesterday we ran um, was an online mastermind event for ten of the biggest language educators on YouTube, and it was a small group or ten or eleven people, and these guys have um, over twenty. 20 million subscribers amongst their YouTube channels and some of them are also huge Instagram channels but so the idea was basically we brought all these people together in an online meeting we also ran some you know some training sessions there but we really um, facilitated the opportunity for those guys to brainstorm ideas to learn from each other to network and it was really mind-blowing to see all these transformations and all these breakthroughs that the people had you know sometimes and even for those biggest influencers i mean they're super good at what they're doing but sometimes you know if you don't network you just you know get stuck up in your own ideas so yesterday all these guys had the opportunity to you know to exchange ideas to exchange what was what was working for their youtube channels and their businesses and wow there was so much transformation breakthrough that was that was really mind blowing. So I got so excited from that that you know yesterday evening after the event it was basically in zombie mode, just trying to process all the information and super excited about this whole thing. Um, we had a few guys who were joining us from Japan, so for them the event only ended at uh, like twelve p.m. at midnight. So. I don't think those guys have been able to sleep last night, to be honest. <laughs> just um very intense but very interesting and in the uh, in the next few over the next few weeks i'm definitely going to talk more about you know some of the things that we discussed and some of the things that you know that you can learn from these discussions that we had there today i have prepared another interview for you and uh, today we're talking to the founder of tandem the tandem app maybe you've heard about them before basically a language exchange app so you can look for um, well, for language exchange partners. Um, his name is Tobias. Tobias is actually one of the two co-founders. And in this interview today, we're going to talk about the challenges of uh, app building, more particularly language learning apps or language exchange apps. We're also going to talk about how to get users when you just get started because uh, they have over 10 million registered users from people from you know from all over the world um so we're also going to talk about the marketing how do you promote an app is influencer market in, in, influencer marketing is that something that is that it's important or is it more about um you know making sure that you rank good or that you rank well in the uh, in the app store and um we are yeah we're also going to talk about dealing with setbacks because building you know, any any business actually comes with a lot of fat, set, setbacks. And that's also the case for Tandem. I mean, they have about 20 em- employees at the moment and they are growing very fast. 
and uh, yeah Toby has built this company from basically from scratch so we're going to talk about some of the challenges and the setbacks that he has had in the company and also how to overcome them because as an entrepreneur you know you're dealing with setbacks all the time and the key is to to focus on the positive and to be passionate and to you know to keep going so we're going to talk about that as well okay so without further ado um let's get started with the interview but before we start with the interview let's go and say thanks to our sponsor if you like the idea of having a support group with other like-minded Langpreneurs, then I highly recommend you to check out Langpreneur Accelerator. Langpreneur Accelerator is our personalized small group coaching program where we help you and other like-minded language business owners grow their language business. So every two weeks we have online mastermind sessions where you get to exchange ideas and learn from other Langpreneurs. Um, we have a support group. You um, have unlimited Q&A in our private Facebook group and we also keep you accountable. You know, we do things like monthly goal setting and um, you know, every now and then we check in and we see if you are completing your task or if you still need any help. Now, if this sounds like something for you, then go to langpreneur.com forward forward slash accelerator and uh, join the waiting list because as soon as we open up the program again, we will uh, get back to you and show you how you can join. Are you still there? Yes? Okay, let's get started then. Here's my interview with Tobias. Hey, Tobias, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your background, how you get involved in app building and teaching languages well providing language exchange is basically what you do right yeah yeah first of all thanks a lot um, for the invitation uh, i love this podcast <laughs> so yeah i'm tobias i'm uh, one of two co-founders of tandem tandem is um, a language exchange community you can access it through one of our mobile apps or our website create an account where you can set the languages that you're speaking and the ones that you want to learn and then we basically um, show you members of our community who speak the languages you learn and learn the languages you speak. And then the kind of core experience of Tenem is uh, a messenger, same like WhatsApp or WeChat, where you can exchange text messages, audio messages, um, images. You can go on audio and video calls. And we have a few language learning features like correcting each other's messages or um, translation of messages. Mm -hmm. What, what is your background? Like, do you have a background in web development or app development or, or IT or not at all? So I studied many, many years ago um, media management or media science. Um, and in, during my studies, I started my first company with um, four other guys that uh, studied in the same year and basically have been um, an entrepreneur ever since. So Tandem is my fifth business, I think. Your fifth business. So what was your first business? Had it also to do with languages or was it? No, I mean, we started Tandem 2015. And if in 2014, you would have asked me if I would ever do something with languages, I would probably <laughs> found it rather unlikely. Um, our very first business, what we're really talking about uh, <laughs> the last millennium here, um, was in the first internet bubble, um, one of the uh, one of us five had a website where he was publishing daily comedy content back then um, that was working pretty well and we basically built a business around this and um, yeah um, created a um, 
a kind of tool, um, probably now you would call it crowdsourcing content tool, where we were working with a couple of comedy writers on creating comedy content for websites, TV shows. Um, out of this came a business of creating cartoons and animation for television. And that's what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. So out of the four or five businesses that you run before Tandem, how many were successful? Well, this very first business, a couple of years later, we managed to exit it. It, the direction changed a bit. We were doing content for, um, yeah, basically mobile phones, mobile phone customers back then. Um, and the um, animation business is actually still up and running. I'm just not, not really. involved in it um, anymore. Um, and then there were like, yeah. And then there was one business uh, which I did for a year, which um, website still exists and people use it, but it definitely wasn't a huge success. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, how, how did you get to the idea to start Tandem? So um, the initial idea, Tandem was a so-called pivot. So basically a change of business, a change of business, business model. It came out of um, an app that we did before Tandem, which was called Vive. And um, the idea there was to create a video chat community. It kind of started around the days when uh, phones started to have a camera on the front as well and not just in the back, like the first kind of generation of smartphones. And we thought there's something in there. And um, I was very active back then on a platform called Couchsurfing and I had all these experiences of meeting strangers and meeting people from all around the world and having great conversations. And I thought it should be possible also from like your sofa. So we created this video chat community and ran it for um, about three years. I was not full-time involved back then. Um, but it had a couple of issues. Um, one of the, the, the main issue was probably that nobody kind of got up in the morning and thought they need a video chat community now. So we didn't get a lot of like organic traffic and people who were looking for that kind of solution. And it also attracted a crowd that we didn't really want to build this app for. So we introduced a um, kind of flow that's still actually part of Tandem that you had to apply to get in the community. But uh, we, we had to reject a lot of these applications because people didn't have any of the kind of intentions that we were building the app for. Um, but yeah, and then it was kind of growing. It had a small dedicated community, but it was not really going anywhere. And then more as an experiment, we looked at what are actually the most popular um, kind of meaningful use cases of the app. And language exchange was one of them. People were using the app for language exchange. So, and so, then, the, so the idea in the beginning was just to create, uh, I mean, before Tandem, it was just a, a video chat app. Yeah. yeah so, 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 like, so like FaceTime, but then with the random people, something like that. Um, exactly. And you could post topics. You could say, I want to talk about the football match uh, last okay. night. Uh, who can give me advice on traveling Belgium <laughs> and uh, then you could scroll through users and the topics they want to talk about and you could jump on video calls with them. Okay. So that didn't work. That was and the, then idea. the next yeah. idea was. Yeah. And then we basically, uh, once we identified, okay, language exchange is something that people are already doing. We basically took the same app, gave it, gave it a different name, slightly different app store description, launched it. And from the first day it worked Mm -hmm. much 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 better it was something people were actually actively looking for and it also attracted uh, a, a nicer crowd i would say yeah and do you keep the um, the video the video messaging function or you remove that um that's still part of the app actually that's if you if you know the old app you will still find a few like um 
elements from the old app that were pretty central to kind of how we build it and the infrastructure of it that are um, a bit hard to remove from tandem. So they're still there. Mm -hmm. In the early days, was it a project that you funded by yourself or you were just working on it by yourself or uh, yeah, how did you like build a team and become really big? Was it like a solo project? Yeah. Um, so um, we were a team back then that got together and we put the first money in it ourselves hmm. um, to basically build a prototype and build like a, create like a nice video that would describe the idea. And then we took that and approached investors. And a couple of months after we started working on it, we had our first um, investment from, from business angels, basically. Hmm. So I do know a few fellow Langpreneurs who have some ideas who are actually app developers and they are working on, uh, you know, they're working on the first version of their app. What would you recommend to those guys? Like if they want to make it big, because app development costs a lot of money, right? The development, but also the marketing. Um, yeah. So what, if you want to do investors, then, then what, what should you do? How can you get investors as a, you know, as a starting Langpreneur? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's, of course, um, a difficult question that I can only really talk from my own experience. Mm -hmm. And maybe our experience was a bit unique. <clears throat> so um, me and my co-founder, we, we exited this business before. Mm -hmm. And there was one um, investor who was thinking about considering investing in that business and decided against it. And then uh, we exited it and I think he might have regretted it a bit and then basically told us whenever you guys are doing something new, please let me know. And that's what we did with uh, the project we did before Tandem and then he was our first investor. And uh, he basically introduced us to our second and third investor. Mm. And from there on, it has always been like so-called warm introductions yeah. from one investor to the other. Um, how to get this first investor um, yeah, I, I can't really talk from experience, but usually that happens through some kind of personal relations. Yeah. There are, of course, stories where people pitched at pitched events and met their first investor through it, um, but that was basically our story. Yeah. How, I mean, working with, working with investment, how do the dynamics of the company change? Are you still free to do whatever you want to do or like do you have to re report every month? Like what's the difference of working with investors and you know, running, running a company on your own. Yeah, of course, it's very important to pick the right investors who are aligned with you on your strategy, on your mission, on your vision. Um, and if that's the case, then of course, you're still free to take decisions because you will be aligned with your investors. Yeah. And that uh, fortunately or luckily has been the case for us throughout this whole journey with Tandem. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you report to them. We have board meetings where we get together once a quarter. Um, of course, for any kind of major company decisions, you align with them. But um, this, is a, this is a cooperation. This is a mutual support uh, between investors and entrepreneurs. And uh, as at least in our case, never gone in a direction of like major conflicts or anything where, where there would be friction. Mm. What gave you the confidence to, to ask for um, for venture capital in the first place because I mean someone can give you a bunch of money but you need to spend it wisely right otherwise they're going to come back to you and they, they want the money back so what of gave course. you the confidence and how do you convince the investors that you were going to be able to, to make it with the app um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure if it's confidence. I think it depends on the business that you're pursuing. And um, if you can do it without investors, I would also always advise to try it. It's the so-called bootstrapping model. Mm. But we kind of knew with what we were planning is um, we wanted to build a community and um, a community has no value if there's nobody in it. So we had to put some upfront investment in it to build the product, which is the app, and to build the community. If we would charge from it from, for it from day one, we would probably be much slower in growing it. Um, so we kind of knew that we would need investment to pursue the business model that we had in mind. Yeah. And this is where, where it came from. And then how do you convince investors? This is, of course, we could do like a whole other episode about it. And my, my yeah. co-founder would actually be, be, be uh, better prepared to talk about it because he's yeah. handling investor relations in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, in the beginning, when you have basically nothing, you just have an idea or a slide deck or like a video where you describe what you want to do. It really comes down to, investors trusting you as a team to be able to pull this off yeah so what's your task in a company because you're doing this in a, in a partnership right together with yeah. somebody yeah. else like what do you do and how what does your partner do in the business um i'm responsible for the product and he's responsible for the marketing operations and investor relations side mm-hmm. you've always well as far as i know at least um so you've had partners before right what how did you experience running a company in, in a partnership, do you think it's like, does it fit you better or like, what are some of the things that we need to keep in, what are the benefits and what are the, the disadvantages for people who are considering to partner? What would you advise someone who, who wants to start a company with, with a partner? That's another really difficult question. And I also just simply um, consider myself lucky there. So um with my co-founder right now, uh, we started our first business in 1999. So we've been working together for a really long time. And back then we were students in university. The stakes were not very high. And we could basically, um, yeah, basically learn by learning by doing in an environment with very low stakes. So you kind of get to know each other and you get to know each other if you, if you align. And um, yeah, that, that was simply very lucky. Um, because of course you have to, you know, I mean, trust is, I think the central element between co-founders and trust builds over time, like just like in any relationship you have in life. Mm. And it's usually also built in the harder times and the tougher times, Yeah, not in the initial time when you start the project and you're very enthusiastic about it and everybody's very motivated. And of course, throughout all these years, we've been through times where we learned that we can rely on each other Yeah, and that's how you build trust. And this is why it's so difficult when somebody asks, hey, how do I find a co-founder? Um, yeah, you can meet over like having cups of coffee and <laughs> try to get to know each other and maybe start working on projects. But you really actually get to know each other when uh, you're going through, through tougher times. Yeah. So there's not really a, a shortcut there. It's basically just starting out and, and, and see if you survive, if your relationship survives the hard times. And, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Because those yeah. are the tests eventually. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, there may be some kind of shortcuts. So for example, there are these events called hackathons mm-hmm. where usually you meet over a weekend, usually around a topic and you build like random teams. And I've done this a couple of times. And I think in like the 48 hours you work together, you get to some, know someone much, much better than, I don't know, maybe working for weeks on like an, like an uh, after work project. 
mm-hmm. um, because you get to know each other in like stressful situations. Yeah. So there may be a little bit of shortcuts, but not, not really. And in the end, it really comes down to building this trust and also learning that you're aligned on, on basic values, yeah. on how do you want to ta- run a company? How do you run a team? How do you treat people in general? Um, yeah. And you have to be aligned on this. Otherwise, it just leads to, to conflicts and friction. Yeah, and the only way to figure that out is by basically spend a lot of time with each other, doing a lot of stuff together. So yeah, yeah. the other person yeah. responds. And even then, you're not really sure. Even then, you, 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 know, you need to get started on, on a common product to find out. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then there are always really challenges. Companies mm-hmm. develop, you meet new challenges, and uh, you learn if you're aligned on these new challenges as well. Mm-hmm. So you, you got investments, and then what? You have all this money, and then what, what, what do you do with it? Like, had you thought, well, I assume you had thought about that. What was the plan? What, what was the next step, like, when you had, when you had yeah, the capital? Yeah. I mean, every, like, uh, good investor, of course, requires before the investment <laughs> a plan yeah. on how to spend the money. And that's basically what you put. You put together a, a business plan, not like a five- or ten-year business plan. If any investor asks for this, they're probably... Um, yeah, don't know startup life and how, how, how quick also environments change. But at least you need to have a plan for the next like 12 to 18 months or so on how to, how to spend money. And you have to be aligned with your investors on this. And then they, of course, expect from you to execute on this as well. Yeah. So what, what were like some of the steps that you took? You, like you start hiring new people or investing in marketing or what, what do you do with that? Yeah, in the past, um, the, the vast majority of our funds went into growing the team and hiring people to uh, take over functions that are necessary to run a business like this um, and that we, especially to grow it and that were not really covered properly before the investment because of lack of resources. Mm-hmm. When you start a startup, you're wearing many different hats and one person does like the job of three or four others, which mm-hmm. usually results in that you can do none of them really properly. Yeah. Uh, really at the level that it's necessary to do it properly. And then when you grow the team, you try to split this up and have uh, dedicated people to do these things properly. Yeah. So one of the big challenges in the beginning, well, probably still one of the challenges is to, to grow the network, right? Because it's only an app can only, or like a language exchange app can only be valuable if there is actually people on the platform. So you want to have that community. How do you, how do you build that? community how do you get to know people from all over the world to know about tandem is it a matter of spending lots of money on ads is it influencer marketing is it um you know making sure that you're using the right keywords in the app store are there other tricks or maybe collaborations tell us a little bit about how you went about yeah yeah these are these are these are definitely all like um, channels that we use or at least tested um for us, the main channel of um, growth and where we get users from has been the app stores and is still the app stores. But of course, it depends completely on your business, on your positioning, if that's the case for, for your app. Um, I think why it worked for us is that um, we're covering a certain uh, niche in this language learning market. Um, we have one main competitor, HelloTalk, um, mm-hmm. and then there are a few like smaller apps um, but it's not a crowded space like um, the space of uh, apps that offer language courses, for example. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you're starting an app and you're competing with Duolingo, Babbel, Buzu, Memrise, and so on and so on drops all at the same time. Yeah. So uh, when people are looking for language exchange, um, 
they're very likely to find tandem. And also we started this whole thing in 2015 when the app store was already pretty crowded, but not as crowded as it is today and not so many established apps already, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, are, um, are there. Then when, when people look for um, certain keywords that they find them first or when they go through the charts or however they, mm-hmm. they browse the app store to find a new app. Um, but then, of course, we also put quite some work into what's called ASO, App Store Optimization, which starts with having a good app title and subtitle and description and keywords and so on. Um, doing A-B testing, which um, Apple doesn't allow on the App Store, but um, Google allows it. You can A-B test different, um, different visuals, uh, different texts, um, and see which one works better and then apply it to the App Store. Oh, that's um, smart. So you test that on Google and then you see which one wins and you use it in the App Store. Yeah, exactly, because uh, Apple doesn't, doesn't offer this as, as, as often Apple is a bit more like intransparent. In, and of course, it's also for both Google and Apple pretty intransparent uh, what their algorithm is that makes you rank high in the App Store for certain keywords. It's the same like with SEO and on the web, they don't want to make this um, public because they don't want apps that just try to game mm. it, that have not very good product, but just try to game their algorithms. Mm. Um, and then there are other aspects to it, of course. ASO is, is, is more complex. Um, also, one thing that really helps is um, Tandem is available in a certain languages when it comes to the app interface, when you open it, like the text on the button. We cover 11 languages, but we cover more languages in our app store presences because that also helps to have your app store present, your description and so on in more languages available. But then there's also this whole part of to have your app rank high, you need um, good ratings and reviews. So um, establishing something in the app that without being too annoying, ask people to leave a review for you on the app. So you've probably encountered this with every like with app that apps. you've been using. So basically that's a also, pop-up. If you yeah, like this all. app rate, give it a five-star rating. Exactly, exactly. And ideally catch people at a point where they might have just had a positive experience with your app where something happened in the app that, um, that delighted them and then try to catch them at that, at that moment and not maybe uh, when the app just crashed or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, and talking about app crashes, that's important as well. Um, of course, Apple and Google also track the kind of technical quality of your app and how often it crashes. Google even shows you this uh, in the, it's called Play Store Console. It's the tool that they provide to um, people who, who build apps and um, publish them on the, on the Play Store. And they have like a, like a threshold there that they show you if your app crashes uh, more than above this threshold. Um, then they also publicly uh, have blog posts that tell you that in that case, your app will rank lower on the, on the app stores and Play Stores. Mm-hmm. So were these like these activities that you are describing, are these the, the marketing activities that you invested in like all the way in the, all the, way in the beginning? Was that, were those like yeah. one of the first things that you did? Yeah, yeah. We are, we're also very lucky. So 2015 when we started, we only had an iOS app. We added the Android app a year later. And um, about a month after we launched Tandem, Apple featured us in 130 countries or so as oh, app of the right. day. Yeah. which also didn't really came out of the blue. We were in contact with the Apple team already for the old app, the video chat community. And I think they might have kind of liked us as a team, but they found the app. They couldn't really place it anywhere. It was some kind of social network thing. <laughs> but then when we with Tandem, we were clearly in the education category, which is, I think, one of the categories that Apple likes to support because it's also in line with, the, with their values then uh, they gave us this featuring. And this is basically what kickstarted the whole community. 
This is when suddenly within a week we had uh, the kind of critical mass of people in the community that you would find exchange partners for all kinds of language combinations. Yeah. How do you incentivize people to, because I mean, getting a registered users, that's, that's number one, but number two is getting them to actually you know, to sign up for, for something to, to buy, to get like, do you also offer premium membership and or how do you monetize that? Yeah, we, we, uh, in the beginning in 2015, we were actually didn't really have the best clue on how to monetize this. And also back <laughs> then, um, subscriptions were not really a thing. Hmm. Maybe you already had one for Spotify or Netflix, but there were not subscriptions for all your fitness and brain training apps and all what's out there. So this whole kind of subscription economy didn't really exist yet. And now it's the main way that we monetize. Um, but when we started, it wasn't, wasn't really a thing, which is also one of these kind of um, stories that looking back, it's always easy to kind of explain uh, why something worked or didn't work. But when we were in the position back then, we were like not really sure how to monetize this. We, yeah. we attempted also two other things before we, we seriously put uh, you know, effort into subscriptions. Yeah. But that's, so, uh, that's how we monetize. So there's a lot of functionality on the app is for free, but for certain features, uh, you need a 10 and pro subscription uh, to use them. Yeah. And what do people get if they get a pro subscription? Uh, they get features like finding someone in my city, um, we have this translation feature in the app. So when somebody sends you a message, you can translate it or before you send your own, you can translate it. And as we're using um, Google API for that, um, we also pay for it. So we restrict it to three, uh, three translations per day for free. Yeah. If you want to have more, you will need a pro subscription. Uh, you don't see ads. So yeah. as a user who doesn't have a subscription, you see ads. Um, if you subscribe, you don't see ads anymore. You can also search for people in um, other cities um, on, for free. You can only search in a certain country, but not specifically to a city. You can see who visited your profile. Um, and you can also do things like um, we have a tandem ID and you can, it's an automatically assigned one. It's basically your ID that you can share with others to find you in tandem. And if you have a pro mm -hmm. member, you can pick your own kind of vanity one. Yeah. And a couple of features that we currently have in the making. How do you figure out what people are willing to pay for? Is that a matter of testing? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's totally a matter of testing. So it's actually a kind of a system that we built um, when we decided, okay, we want to um, move on with subscriptions. We tested it with this um, uh, unlimited translation feature and it, it was promising. Then we basically... Um, build a system that we, that we named Rapid Experimentation Framework. And it allows me as a product manager without um, having to go to a developer or launch a new app version to have certain areas in the app where we can kind of tease features, like hmm. a banner on top. And it says, um, kind of pretends the feature already exists hmm. and um, leads you through a series of steps where at the end there might be like uh, um, the, quest, uh, the, the question to purchase it. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of test how many people actually go that way and say, yeah, I want to buy this for five ninety nine or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically track it. If you buy it one, you get a message that says, sorry, this um, feature is still in the making. <laughs> um, thank you for your patience. Yeah. And of course we have to be careful and not overdoing it because we occasionally get the feed that, that, um, that uh, users find this annoying. But with our current level of, um, of, of users, we, we usually have to run these things maximum for a day 
to have a sufficient number of people um, yeah. seeing it and being able to reply to it. So we don't have to annoy users over weeks, which of course, when you're starting in the beginning and you maybe just have a hundred users a day, that's much harder because yeah. of course you need at least a few thousand to do that. Mm. But this is what we did. So before we launched our premium subscription package, we tested about 70 of these features that way. And we basically then built the ones that performed best in these tests and usually the results of these tests are then pretty much in line with what we see later uh, when we implement the feature. The, the, the only bigger issue is that with these kind of simple tests, you can test something like initial interest in the feature, but you can't test if people would use it repeatedly. And we also made the experience that um, something showed a big initial interest. We launched it. The inter initial interest was very much in line with the test, but then people didn't use it repeatedly. And that's always what to keep in mind. But on the other hand, there will be no repeat usage without initial interest. Yeah. So it still makes a lot of sense to, to test this first. Yeah. So that's another big benefit of having so many users is that you can test things very quickly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always surprising when you sit around the table with, you know, our team where everybody's very invested in the app and has a lot of thoughts about it, that you, that you still get, get, get surprised by what users really want. Yeah. So you think yeah. you have a really good idea and then you put it out and it turns out that people are actually not interested or interested yeah, in yeah, something yeah. else, which was maybe not a very good idea in the first place. Yeah, yeah, like a good example. We, we, we would probably not have developed the feature that you could see who visited your profile yeah. um, because we would have thought, okay, why would I want to know people who visited my profile but decided not to contact me? Yeah. Um, but of course, it's something people are interested in and it also sparks new conversations. Um, but that was, that was a feature that tested very well and we implemented it. And um, it's still one of the main features where people mm. decide to convert into, into a subscription. Yeah. And I have another question, which is a little bit off topic. Why is there no, or maybe there is actually one, but why is there no, no dating app for, uh, you know, where you can date people who speak another language or language exchange for people who are, we're looking for love. <laughs> Does that also happen yeah. within your app? And do you promote it? And if not, why not? Um, yeah, that, that's, that's also a very interesting topic where we could <laughs> have a whole like, podcast episode about. Um, so yeah, of course, we see people um, using Tandem as a dating app. Um, it's not what we like to see because there are tons of dating apps out there. And especially for those who come to Tandem with uh, the intention that we build it for, which is language learning, um, it can get very annoying if, you know, nobody wants to learn languages with you, but just wants to know if you have a boyfriend or something. Hmm. And um, so we're doing a lot of things to prevent this, but it's of course a balancing act because we also all know, um, if you find a language exchange partner you're interested in and there's sympathy, it also helps you in language learning. Most people <laughs> learn languages to talk to other people. Yeah. And so why not, you know, learn it while talking to other people? Yeah. So it's, it's a balancing act. And from a product perspective, the hardest part is it's really hard to, to measure it. How <laughs> dainty is Tandem right now? And when we do measures to, um, to set a different tone on the app or to kind of... Um, yeah, any measures we do to, 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 um, to basically uh, prevent that, were they successful or not? It's very hard to tell. We, of course, you can report people on the app and you can block them, but this is probably very much the tip of the iceberg of what's, what's really happening. Mm. So what we actually do is we um, still have this flow where you have to actually 
apply to get into the community. And you have to answer a couple of questions. And if based on that, it's very clear that you don't have a language learning intention, you don't get into the community. And it's 20% of people every day that we still reject. 20%. Yeah. And that's a conscious decision of, um, of keeping the community language learning oriented. Of course, and report and block people and we follow up on this. We have a moderation team 24-7 that um, looks into these reports um, very quickly and then also um, yeah, w either warns users or if somebody has been warned before, also bans them from the app. Hmm. Um, we're trying to set the tone right, but it's, it's, very, it's very much a balancing act and... Um, I can maybe give one example from a, from a product development perspective that illustrates it a bit is, um, so on Tandem also one thing we require is that you have your main profile picture has to show your face. So we have this kind of um, um, detection system that uh, checks when you upload your profile picture if there's a face visible or if it's uh, your cat or a picture of the beach or something. And we've heard repeatedly that um, this reminds people of a dating app because I'm just here for learning languages. Why is it important how I look like? Um, but the, the intention behind it is to show that this is uh, not an anonymous community. This is more like a language exchange meetup where we all show up and we show each yeah. other our face. And, um, you know, it it's, it's not... Personal, right? Yeah, exactly. Because what I find very interesting is that... Um, in the offline world, we have all kinds of cues when we go to certain places, for example, language learning meetup, um, how to behave, what's the socially expected, what's the socially accepted yeah, behavior. Yeah, yeah. And the same exists for online communities. Mm. People show a different, um, different side of themselves on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or Reddit. And when you're in the position like us to create such a community, how do you set these cues? Yeah. And of course, we also have our community principles that people are supposed to read. And it says all about this. This says, clearly says this is not a dating app. But usually it's more, um, it works better to simply set these cues with, for example, something like this. Mm. You show your face here. This is not an anonymous community where you can troll around. But it's a community where, yeah, we show each other our face and uh, we are um, behaving accordingly, so to say. Yeah, so it's okay to look for Romans as long as you're interested in language exchange in the first place. That's how I see it. And I wouldn't really also um, differentiate so much between dating and serious language learning. I think the line is more between respectful and disrespectful behavior. Yeah. Um, and of course, we have these stories of people who started out having a language exchange, became friends. Often on tandem, people are on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, it's by the way also one of the reasons why we uh, didn't want to make the feature for free that you find people in your city not to support a use case there that we don't want to support yeah. um, and then yeah I've, I've, I've even been to a wedding of people who met on tandem <laughs> and we get these invitations from time invitations from time to time and <laughs> this, this this is totally uh, babies you know, are getting born because of your app it's Perfectly possible. And this is also, yeah, I mean, if I would describe like um, our mission and vision and what we are setting out for, um, or what, what also personally motivates me to do this, it's definitely that this app does not only enable you to learn languages, but builds all these bridges across cultures and gives people opportunities to meet people from other cultures and 
learn something about them and in the course of that also learn something about themselves. And if there's a romance aspect to it, that's, that's, that's also fine. There is romance. That's yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but that, that's basically what, what, what drives me doing this app. And these are the, the stories that, that we get a lot of people who say that for the first time in their life, they talked to someone from a foreign country on Tandem. Yeah. That's what, what we're building this app for. Mm-hmm. And of course, and, 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 and hopefully leading to, 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 to an understanding between cultures. And of course, the basic of understanding is speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many users does, registered users does Tandem have? Is that public information? Is that something you share? Or? Yeah, this is a number we share. Uh, we, it, it, we just crossed uh, 10 million members a couple of weeks ago. 10 million members from all over the world. How many countries? Yeah. All the countries. All the countries, yeah. 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 So how important is data? Because one of the assets is, of course, the, the, the network, right? You have all these users. How important is, is, is data when it comes to app building? Um, of course, it informs you about how people use the app and what the next steps uh, should be. Um, and in our case, um, what we're actually not really leveraging well enough is all this data that we are sitting on where we could learn better from what actually constitutes a successful language exchange. What are the criteria or factors that go in there? And we are, we are just starting to build what you could call a machine learning-based AI system to get better at this. Yeah, because that's something else that you could do. It's take some of that data and use that as your foundation for another app or another company. Or is that not so really something that you focus Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to think off the top of my head now what kind of company that could be. Okay. Um, but it's definitely interesting what you can see also in, in the data of an app like ours, but probably similar to many other apps in terms of how the world is connected, which languages mm. play what role in it, and so on and so on. Have you, have you made some interesting observations like from the data? Like, is it like, I don't know, like, have you, like, do you see that people from Germany seem to be very interested in, I don't know, some random country or something like is that? there been some interesting mm-hmm. observations yeah you can definitely see in which countries people learn which languages and um that's interesting i think of the of the observations that i find most interesting um we have this correction feature on tandem where you can correct others and it's there seem to be some big cultural differences in terms of how polite it is to correct others oh, yeah. so in some countries people correct more than in others in germany they do correct in germany they do correct although uh, the last time i looked at it a couple of weeks ago um, france actually overtook germany in terms of <laughs> world champions of correcting others and the japanese um, don't asian countries are at the bottom of this list yeah china japan korea that's really interesting you also said that like from the data you can see where the lockdowns are currently uh, which yeah, we can also lockdowns. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we already know that tandem is used more when people actually have time. So we always have peaks on the weekend, and we also have peaks when there are school holidays, for example. Yeah. Um, like China is one of our biggest countries, and we always see in our data in the fall when the Monday happens where school starts again in China. Mm-hmm. We see like a significant drop there, and that also proved to be true in lockdown when people probably had more time 
on their hands, especially those uh, students. Mm. And we can then basically see in the usage in our data where lockdowns happened and where not mm-hmm. and where yeah. they are currently going on. Yeah. Can you also see like in which countries people are more likely to convert? So which countries are happier to spend, you know, to spend money on the uh, getting the premium subscription? Yeah. 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 That's actually data we get from, uh, from Google and Apple. Yeah. So any interesting data on that is like, mm. like how our conversion rates in like the, like, is it like the richer countries that those countries are more likely to convert or is that? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's pretty much in line with, uh, what you would call the Big Mac index, for example, where, you, yeah. where you can, the prices of Big Macs are compared, is basically countries where people have more um, disposable income. Yeah. They are also spending more on, on, on tandem, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have, been, you have been, well, you have been building lots of companies, uh, app building, have been doing that for almost 20 years. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you think when it comes to building a language app or a language exchange app in your case? Mm. Good question. Um, is, it, is it running the company itself? Is it technology? Is it, is it the marketing? Is it the partnership? Of, <laughs> of course, it's, it's, it's all of that simply. And um, probably at the bottom of this also, um, develop kind of like a like an approach almost to life to deal with uncertainty and um to kind of keep sane in your head because running companies like this and running businesses like this is always a bit of a roller coaster right with a lot of ups and downs and i wouldn't really say it's, it's 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 my personal biggest challenge because i just grew into that or i had the luck to grow into that and to be able to kind of learn for a couple of years almost to run companies um but I would say from the perspective of an entrepreneur, it's probably the most important skill that you need to develop. The entrepreneurial skill, the skill of managing people. Yeah, and the skill of dealing with uncertainty mm. and so, dealing with failures and dealing with successes and all of that. Yeah. Can you give an example of like a setback that you had in your career while building Tandem that eventually you, know, that you eventually mm-hmm. recovered from? Well, there, there, there are simply setbacks every single day. Okay. They are like, um, when we run these experiments, for example, nine out of 10 usually fail. Um, and it's a question how to deal with it. When you talk to investors, I think we have kind of a similar success rate that you have 10 conversations and maybe one investor who's seriously interested in it. Yeah. And I think the important part is to, um, yeah, to, 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 to develop a healthy mindset towards this. Um, I would say that um, you, you always have to be very passionate about the problem that you want to solve. If you're not passionate as, a develop, as, a, as an app developer, or as an entrepreneur about the problem that you want to solve, you're not going to be successful because in the hard times you're going to give up. But you have to have a healthy, almost like distance and not being too passionate about the product you're building, the idea that you just have that you think will take the app to the next level. Maybe even a conversation you have with an investor because um, that would just lead to um, you taking the setbacks too personally. Yeah. And um, you're always taking decisions all the time in a, in a context of uncertainty. 
you're weighing the pros and cons, you're coming to a conclusion, you kind of do your best to take a good decision. But then, yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And if you always think when you took a bad decision or something didn't work out or you got to know that you personally are a failure, mm. that doesn't keep you sane. On the other hand, when something, a decision you took turned out to be a good one and you think you're a genius, that's the same trap. This is yeah. like connected. Yeah. And I think that's what I, what I learned over the years um, very much. It also leads to things that I know are maybe not. So for example, I have a really hard time celebrating successes because <laughs> to me, that's the flip side of not um, letting failures drag me down. Uh, yeah. But of course, you can read all kinds of management books that especially yeah. when you run a team, you should, you know, celebrate every single success. And to me, that feels very unnatural. Yeah. And um, that's something, yeah, that's something, that's something I learned. It's, it's, it's like often in life, it's all about having a sane balance. It's balancing so you need things. to be very stable emotionally if you run a, a company like this. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Any other, any other tips or things that you want to share with um, people who are just, you know, who are new to this, who are starting out, maybe in the Langpreneur space, maybe with an app? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I, maybe, maybe everything I said so far sounds a bit scary. Um, but there's also something to say about almost like a naivety of starting a business and really enjoying this phase and taking all the motivation and momentum into building something and launching it. But of course, my main advice would be to uh, test very early. Yeah. There's this saying, if you are not embarrassed about your product, but at the time you launch it, you launched it uh, too late. And there's a lot about this. Yeah. And there's also, you find a lot of like blog posts and literature about to even test an app before you have an app. Yeah. By just talking to people, by just presenting them with something you draw on a piece of paper and seeing if there's interest in it. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to do this at every step of the way to find lightweight ways to test things with real customer, real users, not your family and friends because they, they won't be honest to you. Either they tell you it's great because they think you are great or um, they, they tell you to, to do something different and, and get a real life or something like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always testing with real customers and doing this very, very early on. And there are lots of strategies around this of building simple landing pages of putting an ad out on eBay and seeing how the responses and all kinds of, of tactics to test things very, very early. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned this because I have a few app. I've had a few app developers or app owners on the podcast here. We have Gabriel Weiner from Fluent Forever, and then I had Silver from Magic Lingua. I actually also talked to uh, to Zachary from the Hello Talk app, and I all and I asked them the same questions, and they all said the same thing. They all said yeah. the testing is super important. So, well, you hereby confirm this just one more time. Um, Tobias, thank you very much. It was a great honor to have you on the podcast and uh, see you around. We're all going to check out. Oh, yeah. I, want, before, I almost forgot. How can people learn more about you if, and the app in case? Of course, yeah. Tandem.net, T-A-N-D-E-M.net uh, is our website. You find the links to the app stores there. You can also just look for Tandem on the app store or Play Store. Um, and that's how you find us. Is there also a way to connect to you personally? If they want to um, you can look me up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay. I'm going to include all the links in the show notes in case you're interested. Tobias, thank you very much. Thank you, Jan. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.